0: You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by FitStairs, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings.
1: Thank you for listening. It's Tuesday, the 9th of May, and this is episode 737. Charlotte Greenway in for Nick as he's on his way to Fakenham Racecourse for the afternoon with Racing TV. We'll hear shortly from Tony Mullins on his star mare, Princess Zoe, leaving his yard to potentially be trained elsewhere. Whilst the Inform Alice Haynes discusses her two-year-old heading to Chester for the Boodles May Festival before finishing the episode in France with this week's Bloodstock segment, First though, Lee Mossad joins me and Lee, it seems there's some upset jockeys in the weighing room at the moment over the current role of the Professional Jockeys Association. Yesterday we learnt of the resignation of the PJA's chair John Holmes and their external director Simon Cox. Mick Fitzgerald has also relinquished his seat on the board. The podcast has made contact with Dale Gibson, a PJA board member, who has said that issues are moving quickly and he needs more time before commenting, but day-to-day business of supporting jockeys continues. Dale also commented that he's been at the Jockeys Association for 30 years and has no intention of leaving. Lee, it's all a bit of a mess. Do we know what's behind the Jockeys' revolt?
2: Um, to an extent, we do, yes, um, Charlotte. There has been, uh, for a period of time now, dissatisfaction building um, among jockeys on a number of, of fronts. Um, the The whip appears to be the issue that has really fueled this revolt, this coup against the PJA. We all know that for a long time now, um, the whip has been a, a big talking point in British racing. We had the whip consultation um, that ultimately led to the introduction of new rules, rules that were revised after uh, intervention from jockeys. Jockeys appear, or some jockeys, appear still not to be happy with the rules as they are now. And I think the understanding is that has been a significant factor. In what has happened, there have been other issues too. Uh, riders weren't happy with how uh, changes to the previous COVID weight allowance uh, came about. They were; they haven't been happy apparently with issues regarding a new pay deal for for valets. Um, there have been a series of fronts on which jockeys have had some dissatisfaction, and ultimately they led to a position whereby um, some riders, senior riders, organised a petition of jockeys that was presented um to the pga leadership and it it requested an extraordinary general meeting of the professional jockey association in which it would be clear that riders no longer had confidence in the pga chief executive ian mcmahon and the pga board in response to that as you say charlotte john holmes the pga chair and the external director simon cox and mick fitzgerald all resigned from the board perhaps others have resigned from the board we don't know because as you uh, reported there people aren't talking uh, a great deal on the record they're not saying much off the record either um i think the the pj chief executive ian mcmahon is a central figure in all this because there has been dissatisfaction from jockeys regarding the chief executive, who they have seen as a figure who is um, relatively invisible compared to his predecessors, and particularly his immediate predecessor, Paul Struthers. Ian McMahon came from uh, a background of sports administration, but not within racing. Football had been his, his main sport. He's not a figure who has become at all well known to members of the media which Portsmouth certainly was, and it appears that that has also, to an extent anyway, been the situation with with jockeys. They feel that there hasn't been enough visibility from their chief executive, but I think they have wanted to be publicly seen to be fighting for their case more than has been the case. I think Ian McMahon's position is almost certainly untenable. I wouldn't be at all surprised... Ithra movements on that front this week. There's an expectation that if there is to be an EGM, that that will have to be formally presented to members this week, and that would have to take place at some point relatively soon. I think we should also say as well, um, Charlotte, that there has been some two-way dissatisfaction, if you like. It's not just a case that jockeys have been unhappy with the PGA. Those PGA members... Who PGA board members who resigned did so in part because of dissatisfaction with jockeys. I think they feel, have felt a sense of exasperation. I think they have felt that the PGA has become almost ungovernable. And in part, I think they believe that is because they see jockeys as having failed to sufficiently engage on key matters until the point comes at which it's too late to make much of a difference. I think the whip has been um, a key point again in this one. It's been widely reported that there was dissatisfaction that jockeys didn't present their concerns at an earlier point on the on the whip journey. Jockeys would say that there were reasons for that. But I think it's just important to stress that this goes two ways. It's not simply a case that jockeys are unhappy with the PGA. I think to an extent the PGA leadership has had some concerns about the interaction with its, with its members. What is clear is that things can't go on as they are. We reported in the Racing Post a Monday's edition that a lot of jockeys are moving for the previous chief executive, Paul Struthers, to return to the organization. Um, he left, uh, prior to McMahon coming in, at a difficult time for himself and the PGA. He spoke of how the, the, the job had taken a, a real toll on himself and his family, and therefore, that has to be taken into consideration if there is a move to bring back Paul Strollis, who also left not long after the uh, end of the hearing involving Bryony Frost and Robbie Dunn, in which the PGA was criticised significantly, including by, by Frost herself. Um, but it's clear that some jockeys do want Paul Strollis to return. There's also suggestions that the former PGA chair, Nigel Payne, could come back as well. He has publicly said he would be willing to do that. But there's no doubt overall that this is an exceptionally serious situation for the PGA. For a long time, it was seen to be the racing trade body um, that worked particularly well. Um, Its reputation has been battered um, in recent months and particularly in the last few days. And how it moves forward from here is unclear, but significant developments are expected this week.
1: You mentioned moving forward there, but actually Nigel Payne and Paul Struthers returning to their roles could be seen as a move in the wrong direction and going backwards. Um, And we do have to move with the times. You know, I've read that some of the jockeys are unhappy, um, that, you know, people on the board don't understand racing if they've not worked in it, if they've not come from the sport. There has to be a good thing that we have some representation from outside um, and bringing in new ideas and fresh ideas?
2: I think you make a fair point, yeah. I, th- I think the the PGA board as it is now and certainly individuals who left or some of the individuals who left would, I think, say that it was important that the PGA board and its leadership was a modern leadership that mirrored um, the boards and leaders of other organisations and that the PGA board couldn't simply be made up of of jockeys and former jockeys. Um, you're right that the, the, the two individuals um, who left the PGA, well, they left for their own reasons. Nigel Payne left for personal reasons. Um, Paul Struthers, as I say, he left at a time when the PGA was in a, in a really difficult position because of the Bryony Frost and Robbie Dunn case. And he also, Paul has been very open talking about his mental health um, and he did say that the job had taken a toll on him. So, as you say, Charlotte, going back might not necessarily be the obvious thing to do, but there is a real feeling among jockeys that um, a racing insider is needed to lead the organisation. Now, whether that's right or whether that's wrong, I don't know, but that's certainly the way they are feeling and... I think I share, I would share your concerns that there is a danger um, that if jockeys want someone who is simply going to be seen to be publicly fighting their case um, all the time, whether that's regarding every single whip ban that occurs, well, the, the, the danger with that is that if you uh, employ people or someone who simply tells you what you want to hear, that isn't necessarily the best thing in the long run for the organisation. I'm sure that's not what Paul Struthers was doing. Paul was someone who had a a distinguished record at the BHA before he came to the PGA. I'm sure he wouldn't be someone who would just tell jockeys what they want to hear. But it feels as though there's a a move towards that um, from from some riders anyway, and that might not necessarily um, be what's actually needed.
1: So we'll wait to hear more, no doubt, on this subject over the next three or four days. Moving on and looking at the action this week, Uh, Chester's May meeting starts tomorrow. Uh, They've got their two key classic trials for the Derby and the Oaks. Lee, the Derby pitch is looking pretty unclear at the moment and the Guineas didn't do much to help that. Is there a horse that you'd take out of that race for the Derby? Well,
2: the, the one that the market takes out of the Guineas for the Derby is is, is the horse who ran the most disappointing race in the Guineas, August Rodan, because he's still favourite for the the contest. And I think it 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 underlines how confusing this Derby picture is that a horse who ran so lamentably in the two thousand Guineas is still the favourite with the vast majority of bookmakers. Now, of course, August Rodan could bounce back. And win the Guineas imperiously because he has had rave reviews from Aidan O'Brien prior to the 2000 Guineas. So he's clearly held in the very highest regard. But he did run a terrible race at Newmarket on Saturday. Um, His trainer Aidan O'Brien actually faces a very interesting two weeks too. Because across these trials that we're going to see at Chester and then Lingfield and then York, um, I'm sure there would be a real wish within Ballydoll for... Um, a fair bit of success over those two weeks because he goes into the Derby trials, Aidan O'Brien, having not had a a particularly good week. As I say, he had the 12th and the 14th in the 2000 guineas. He's now gone four years without a win in the guineas, which is the longest he has ever experienced. His runners in the Derby trial at Leopardstown, which often been a key vehicle, a key platform for Balladol, none of those runners were placed. So Aidan has some... Uh, re- plenty of representation across the, the D stakes and the Chester bars and then he'll be represented I'm sure at Lingford at York. He will want his runners to really perform there to provide some bolster to August Rodan at Epsom. Um, Aidan has the Oaks favourite running in the Chester trial uh, on Wednesday, the Chesh- Cheshire Oaks in say the Last Dance. Um, big things could be expected of, of her, but if we look at the Chester Vars, um, the big derby trial at the Chester May meeting, it's a John Gosden train horse arrest whose odds on favourite for that race. He can get as big as 20 to 1 about Arrest of the derby, although with most firms, he's much shorter. He was just touched off in a back-end French Group 1 last season, and Frankie Dettori, who, of course, won the 2,000 guineas on Saturday. If Frankie is to have a major Derby challenger this year, perhaps it could be a rest.
1: Juddmont certainly seemed to have a strong hand in the three-year-old Colts division. Uh, arrest, you mentioned there, is favourite for the Chester Vars tomorrow. And, of course, Chaldean won the 2,000 guineas at the weekend. Bally Doyle, they just seem to be lacking Colts this year. Looking at the Derby picture, you'd normally have 10 Aidan O'Brien horses in the top 20 in the betting. And really, there's only one. Is that worrying for them? Well,
2: certainly, I mean, certainly this year has not started as well as they would have wanted it to. Um, but there's still tremendous strength and depth within within Ballydor and and with Coolmore as well obviously um, and I think there's sometimes a danger with with Ballydor that you you see a few bad results and we get too uh, we get too doom-laden so I've painted this picture of a poor guineas weekend friend Aidan O'Brien and a poor uh, leopard sound trial on Saturday but so often we've seen that horses from that yard um, who suffer defeat sometimes suffer multiple defeats then come good. Um, Aidan O'Brien races his horses and often they get better with racing. So say although at, at this stage the situation wouldn't be anywhere near as rosy as perhaps one would have anticipated it being as we go into Chester week, um, it's entirely possible that, that could turn around.
1: Well, the first race of the Boodles May Festival at Chester is the Lily Agnes for two-year-olds where Alice Haynes runs Ziggy's Dream, who's currently one from one and one of the favourites. And I put a call into her this morning to find out about her chance, but started by reflecting on the performance of Fix You in Ireland on Saturday, where she took the Listed stakes over five and a half furlongs for fillies and asked Alice how impressed she was.
3: Yeah, I was delighted. Um, she uh, More so for the team also and for Anna Race. You know, we've been uh, very patient with her and, and she sometimes isn't the easiest to train, just being a little bit fragile. Um, but it was delighted when the, gra- the rain came down more so because it just you know, we know that she goes on that ground and she's pretty much closhed up. You know, uh, Jamie Heffman said, thank you very much for a steering job. They're not going to be that simple. Um, Obviously, for the season ahead, I have got her in the Temple Stakes and I have got her in the Prix Um, It's just if if the if the ground stays on our on our side, yeah, keeps on raining, um, the more the merrier. And if not, uh, we'll pop her away before an autumn campaign.
1: And is she the kind of uh, filly? Obviously, that was five and a half furlongs. Do you see five furlongs or six furlongs as both options?
3: She, she's very quick. I, I'd, I'd like to leave her at five, really, um, especially if the ground's soft. that will run her on. Um, I, I will leave her
1: at five. Uh, talking of fast, um, the trials day at Ascot last week, Maximum Impact further enhanced his reputation when taking the two-year-old conditions race, having won his first start by 12 lengths. He looks right up there with the best we've seen out so far. Has he always impressed you at home?
3: Uh, yeah, well, he's pretty cool horse to train. Um, he was a little bit quirky um, and not straightforward until all of a sudden we took him, him, away for a Chelmsford away day, and he came back a man. And and ever since then we haven't looked back. Um, I very much take last week as really his first run. Uh, Leicester was sort of a bit of a uh, a race course gallop. Unfortunately, there was no stalls, and he, he never really got asked a question, and everything was done on the bridle. Whereas last week, a I, I furlong out, I was thinking, oh, the the rail could beat us here. That rail could be a massive advantage. Um, but I liked how he got the three smacks. He got his head in front and then he said, "Ah, oh, the pennies dropped. He soon put the, be- the race to bed like um, a really, really likeable performance. He came back into the winner's enclosure. He just wanted to pick a grass. And that's, that's that Havana grey in him. Um, they're great to train they're they're really really cool to train um we've got options you know of of where we go next depends what sort of ascot it is if it's a couple of years ago when it was nearly a write-off we'd very much keep him to the five furlongs um but we could step him up to six now um
1: if, if it's good ground or if it's good summer ground would you look to get another run into him before ascot or would you like to go straight
2: there
3: no, we'll go straight there now. We'll, we'll, likely, we'll likely go straight there. Um, we could have a look at the national stakes, but I can imagine it'll be a, an attractive field. And he learned a lot from last week and he would have come on from that also. So I feel we've um, got enough experience under our belts. Um, we could just go straight to last
1: And another nice two-year-old you've got is Ziggy's Dream for Midland Park Racing. She runs in the first race of the Chester May meeting tomorrow the Lily Agnes Stakes for two-year-olds. She won first time out at Doncaster, where she went off at nine to four. Is this a horse you think could be quite smart?
3: Yeah, I think she's quite smart. But also, I think she's definitely one that she'll, will step up to get six and seven. Um, she did last, well, Doncaster, nearly two weeks ago. Uh, well, um, it really, she sort of, she had control of the race. It didn't go that quick. And she quickened up, well... Uh, She's come a lot from that. People would look at her in the paddock or even at home and think, "Oh, she's a big, joggy mad filly." But she's actually not sweating. She's just her temperament. She's happy and, and bonny, and she sort of bounces along. Uh, we've got the draw six tomorrow. They haven't had that much rain yet, as as they were forecast. but I can imagine, they'll get it today. I'm not. I'm not too adverse to that. That really soft ground. Um, she's got enough speed from the gates and she should be able to get a handy position and uh I look forward to seeing her tomorrow it's good to have them for midland park um yeah she, she'll if she if she wins tomorrow she'll, she'll also likely go to ascot to
1: is she the kind of filly as well that the sharp bends of chester will suit yeah
3: she's a, she's a bonny filly she's she's not like she's she looks small but actually when you ride her she's got size about her she she carries herself with the low head carriage and um she carries herself quite small so she should nip round those bends at chester
1: um no 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 problems well it looks like it's ziggy versus ziggy midland park versus midland park the first two in the betting anyway at yeah the ta- that
3: got drawn one unfortunately <laughs> <laughs>
1: um
3: but yeah it, it, it looks good and it, it's great so it's our first chester uh chester mainly runners, so it's, um, it's good to go there
1: and have you got anything else heading there
3: uh may song um sort of a yardstick. Mason, he's gone and drawn in the car park but he gets ridden for luck anyway and um he yeah, he won a nice race at red car he was third in the spring mile and he was third last week in a Not to 105 he's a fun horse to have um for connections
1: great well alice i hope you enjoy your trip up to chester and they all run well thank you so much for talking to me
3: no problem thanks very much thank you
1: It's been a really tough few days for trainer Tony Mullins as it was reported in the TDN yesterday that his star mare and Group 1 winner Princess Zoe had left his yard to potentially be trained elsewhere. Tony joins me on the line now. Tony, how's this all come about?
4: Well, I'm not sure now. At the moment, uh, she's gone back to stud. Now, I, I heard she was going to another trainer. But um, at the moment, that's the way it stands. She's gone back to um, a farm to, um, um, you know, recover from whatever they think she has, you
1: know. And that is that something they thought she picked up at Punchestown, Or um, she obviously came back with a vet's report that day with a few scrapes and bruises.
4: Yeah, I mean, they were very simple. And, uh, as you know, as far as I can see, there is nothing wrong with the mayor. But... Uh, I thought she was going to be retired, but it doesn't seem to be that way now. And, um, you know, we'll say the the ownership has sort of changed now because Philomena Crampton, who agreed with what I thought, uh, sold her share because she didn't agree with the... I, I would imagine the continued um, effort to make a hurdler of her.
1: And just looking back and reflecting, are you glad that you went hurdling with her in the end?
4: Well, I, you know, I mean, we went to the sales uh, on my advice that I thought, you know, she had uh, attained as high as she could go as a flat mare. And, you know, you see, Paddy is... Uh, Paddy Keogh, the owner, is, you know, a died in the wool jumping man. And he, we bought her to go hurdling, but it, it never... The way she trained, it never seemed to suit her, in my opinion. And, um, you know, when she didn't sell at Newmarket, he pushed to go jumping, which we did. And I thought she did fantastic, but not being a natural hurdler, you know, I thought she ran a fantastic... You know, she won the first day and then ran a fantastic race in Cheltenham. And I'd say her novice status if you want to call it that was she was a bit novicey at the last hurdle would have probably fought out the finish with the winner and uh but you know I, I i just thought she was never a hurdler and you know it's a well-documented thing that she has uh crooked legs and a little bit of arthritis and that and we've danced around that for the couple of seasons that we've been training her you know and uh I thought hurdling was going to exacerbate any problems that she might have.
1: Mm. And it's clear just how much she means to you by having this conversation now. And even just yeah. before this call, you sent me a lovely picture of you and her in the stable sharing a moment just before she left your yard. How are you feeling about all of this at this moment?
4: Uh, like, it's it's very upsetting. Um you know, horses come and go and, you know, we, we care for all horses, but I just had an affinity with this mare that I felt you know, I never had, even with my pony as a kid, you know, so you know, the the, the things I did with this filly, uh, you know personally, to come out and see her at night was equally as, in, you know, as enjoyable to me as winning a group one. She was just a fantastic intelligent mayor that I got on very well with because <laughs> you know a personal relationship as opposed to a train or horse relationship you
1: know and the journey you had together, the two of you this is a mayor that Kate when she came to you from Germany, had a rating of sixty four The first season you had her, she won the Greek, group one Prix de Cadran, subsequently second in an Alaska Gold Cup, and she won a group three cigarro stakes. That journey, it's a pretty remarkable achievement from you and from her.
4: Yeah, well, it it was, you know, her ability is exciting for the public. But what I knew about her here, her bravery and her her, uh, willingness to get through, you know, the crooked legs and the arthritis and, you know, and she gets very stiff at times. And just her, you know, it, it was fantastic in the morning here when... Sometimes we'd give her a hard bit of work. Early in play when I didn't really know her. And I'd be thinking all day, like what's this one going to be like tomorrow? And she'd come out of the stable like as much as to say, that was great crack yesterday, we try it again. You know, she just never, she never hurt once showed the, the the white flag, you know. She, she'd battle, she'd fight, she was as tough, And loved her race and absolutely loved it, you know. Which was, it's a very rare commodity in any horse, but in a filly, it's doubly rare. She was just an unbelievable, um, brave mare.
1: Well, it's certainly been a remarkable three years since she had her first run for your yard back in 2020. And I guess the hunt starts now for the next one. You might not ever be able to replace her but you might be able to find the next best handicapped horse in Europe yet again. Uh, would you go back to Germany?
4: We've we bought ones from Germany and we've won a lot of races with them. And I love the German horses because they're tough, but unfortunately we just don't have the checkbook to buy the, the fancy ones in Ireland. So we have to think outside the box and, <clears throat> you know, try and do things to, to compete and we fell on her and you know we've had others uh party play by was just beaten in the english savage a couple of years ago by willie of course we all went, went over there and then willie beats me half a length on the line so but you know we've got horses from germany uh at, at, at our checkbook levels that are able to compete at the top and i think we'll do it again
1: tough one to take after all he's achieved, Lee, with the horse. And as Tony says there, she's clearly not a natural over hurdles, all built for it, really. So it'll be interesting to see what code she's campaigned for if indeed she has gone back into training.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, And if she has gone back into training, um, that's a a big move from the owner, um, Paddy Keogh. Obviously, there's the a danger in, in in all this sort of situation that that Paddy Keo is painted as a as a terrible villain and there's no doubt that there is a, a huge amount of sympathy for Tony Mullins I would share that sympathy for Tony Mullins we we don't know what has been said between people and um and there's therefore a danger that you can turn into too much of a Of a soap opera. But at face value, you look at all that Tony Mullins achieved with Princess Zoe over many years. um, He has produced a superb training performance with that mayor to bring her from a situation of being a a relatively low grade handicapper to a top class Group 1 performer. And to see her leaving his yard, believing that to be uh, en route to a different stable, must have been a bitter pill. To swallow, and I think, therefore, there is considerable sympathy for Tony Mullins, and um, I suspect that's merited.
1: And on a lighter note, Windsor yesterday, um, there may not be any hurdles at Windsor, but there was an object in the way as a goose ran out in front of the favourite. Uh, I guess there's not much we can do about that, is there?
2: No, no, I think it's very hard to um, write um, issues relating to geese into the official rule book um you don't expect a goose to intervene in a horse race you certainly don't expect in running comments in the racing post like the one we had in relation to um poor revenue um the horse that got um impacted on monday the the comment read raced in second hampered by a goose and pushed along over two furlongs out you don't expect that to be honest um charlotte and um, but sometimes have intervened in horse racing we said that in see that in britain and in australia but it's a rare occurrence thankfully as was the event that took place on sunday at newmarket when kevin Stott removed the the hood from his horse at the start of the race and uh, promptly threw it onto to the head of ryan moore uh, again unfortunate unintended but it happens
1: Finally, it's that time of the week again, so it's over to Nick.
0: Well, it is Tuesday morning, Charlotte, so we go around the bloodstock world again with our friends at Weatherby's, their stallion book and their excellent global stallion app. And it's to France today and to the three farms, two in France and one in England, that now are all under the Sumbay banner, Uh, Montfort and Priot and Mesere and Hesman Stud. In Sussex I'm very pleased to check in with the man who's been the long-term manager of Hesmonds but who's now based in France supervising this operation for for Neuland Tony Fry Tony this is becoming a this is becoming a big pan-european production now just tell us a little bit about how
5: it's all come together yes afternoon Nick um, uh, it started in um, December 2010 when Newland made his first purchase of um, Hesmond stud and he bought six mares from Tattersall's um, so the farm really started uh, in, the, in the January, I joined then January 2011 um, and then three years ago he bought Arada Monfort in Normandy and two years ago bought Arada Um Monfort is where the stallions are based and some boarding mares and Meseret is um, his, his his private farm pretty much so. All in all, there'd be over a 1,000 acres between the three farms and 50 of Nalan's own mares that uh, are mainly based, everything's based in France because we, we are French-bred now. So the majority race in France, even though we have horses, um, with Roger Varian and Clive Cox in England.
0: Tell me a little bit about, uh, about the background.
5: Well me is uh, bred um, a couple of art winners, and it was owned by the Mosac family who um, in in their day were were um, ahead of the game with everything. you know when we bought the farm, obviously um, it needed a bit of investment but um, twenty years ago it was uh, one of the premier farms in europe um, so it 's a beautiful farm um, with great facilities, and we 're in the process of um, just redeveloping some of it at the moment new fencing. Um, building new barns, um, and it was the same as as with Hesmonds. Um, that was bought off Mister. Um, Clandress, who had owned it for for thirty forty years, um, and it was uh, a an, an, an exceptional farm in its own there.
0: You have been most famous recently for for the now sadly departed Lav. What what sort of impact did he did he leave on on the sort of modern running of of the farm?
5: Well, he was—he was, a, he was a, a fairy tale story. Um, you know, he wasn't—he uh, was—he was a great horse. Um, wasn't fashionably bred as a son of Novaire, but um, when Sylvain Vidal took him to to Montfort, um, you know, he—it he, was a—it was a wonderful story because he started off um, very cheaply, um, produced um, two French Oaks winners. And he, he rose up to you know fifty thousand um, nomination fee, um, and was covering 140, 150 mares a year, and then unfortunately got a tumour on the lung, and we sort of nursed him along, and and you know the the end of the days come very sadly for him, but it was it, it made the farm, you know they they were able to invest in the farm, they um, got. Off the back of it, and we're very, very good at promoting them, and it's the same. It's the same today. We're carrying on that ethos of, um, you know, trying to trying to make stallions and trying to make it a, a, a profitable industry and um, give everybody a chance to use the right stallions. You know, France, France is crying out for that again since the loss of La Havre, obviously, and and Bassett going to Ireland. So you know, we want to, we want to be. Um, helping the french industry in standing the right horses for everybody
0: now you're standing a big name in mishra if it hasn't been a straightforward start at, at stud for him how's he getting on now
5: um he, he, he's great now um it's, it's, a, it's a shame the season doesn't start uh, next week he's sound he just had a, a a hiccup in his box um and it was a, a little fracture of the foot and these things take a long time and when uh, standing on two legs you want them to be, you want them to be sound. So it just took um, a lot longer than everybody hoped, but we had to do what was best for the horse. So we we didn't cover this year. Um, he's, you know, he's he's a wonderful horse. He, he's tough as anything, and he's flown around the world, and then he has a hiccup in a in a, a padded box in France. Um, but he's back. He's, you know, he's turned out now, um, and he's and he's treated a, as a horse. So next year we'll be we'll be pushing them again, and we look forward to again. As I say, we always sort of wish our life away because we'll be looking forward to his foals, we'll be looking forward to his yearlings, runners. So you tend to be wishing your time away very slowly. You've got um,
0: three other stallions that are very interesting. Golden Horde was a very very good sprinter. Um, time form rated 122. Royal Ascot winner as well from a good sprinting family. How's he going down with French breeders?
5: Great. Um, I mean, again, he, when everybody sees him, he, he fills the eye. He's a wonderful, for a, for a sprinter, he's a wonderful walking horse, great athleticism, um, strength to him, good hind legs, strong, um, and, and a great mind and temperament. Um, we've had plenty of foals on the farm of our own here. Where we have 17, 18. It's yearling time now. It's his first um, batch of yearlings on the ground, obviously now. So sales time will be interesting. Um, but he's been very well received, and again, I think people are coming back. They've liked what they've seen as foals and yearlings, so we're getting a lot of returning customers there. Um, but he is a he is he's a great horse to deal with. As I said, he's got a lovely mind about everything, and the stock is the same. They take everything in their stride. They're great to deal with, and we will be sending ours to plenty of the good trainers because I think that's a, that's a big thing that you have when you're trying to promote a stallion that you have them with the right trainers because that can make or break a horse so we will be um, spreading ours around to, to plenty of good trainers and I think the same in France. Um, yeah I think that people are very happy with them um, at the moment.
0: Uh, and people will see the, the famous pale blue and yellow silks all over England and France and Uh, been racing with great success there's been a a real flurry of of big race winners over the last three or four years what what would you attribute that to what would you attribute the sort of growth of success on the race course to
5: um if i knew that i think we'd be doing it every year it's it's a team effort you know we have good trainers um i still after all my time with horses you're still learning about the paddocks you're still learning about the families that work best um even now you think oh dear we shouldn't have sent that mare to that particular stallion that's not quite how it came out as one would have hoped so it, it's a it's a constant learning process um, we have a great team in place um you know you can't do it without everybody behind you um vets farriers you know all the guys that work on the farms um we again we've we've invested in nice mayors um and they've been good race mayors and that going on to do the do the job in their second career we have a lot of nice young mares that weren't great mares but they've got the pedigree behind them and they seem to be throwing some beautiful um we've got their first batch now sort of yearlings and two-year-olds coming through um so it's exciting times for them but to put put a finger on one thing and say that's the secret um it probably takes a cleverer man than me to do that i, I don't know uh, maybe maybe, the, maybe it's the boss. It's all down to him.
0: <laughs> You've been in the industry a long time, Tony. Uh, how are you enjoying the transition to France? How are you enjoying family life there? How are you enjoying stud life, uh, the, the racing industry? How's it different?
5: Um, personally, um, I, I, it, it's wonderful. Um, everybody's been very welcoming in France. Uh, the boss enjoys it as well. Um, you know, I was brought up on English racing, I, I love English racing, but I, I, it's very, very difficult in these present times to be running around for two and a half thousand, three thousand pounds £3,000. We come to France, you're racing for a maiden's €12,000, then with the owners and premium on top, you know, you're looking at twenty, twenty-four thousand euros €24,000 for a maiden. So financially, it makes a lot of sense um and you get a, a travel premium as well so if you're traveling off you have a, a a certain amount of money that pays for your travel to the race course for the horses so it, it makes a lot of sense financially um it, it, it's it, it's a very nice country to, to to live in um my family enjoy it i enjoy it i think the boss you know he comes over um plenty of times enjoys a race in here especially when we have winners and um, that makes the day a little easier um, so the, yeah the transition has been very good you know i get backwards and forwards to hesmans and, and england as as often as needed but it's um it's an enjoyable experience and it's adventure as well um many people would have said oh no i like to be settled in, in their little area but what's the worst could happen coming over to france well, <laughs> i don't know yet <laughs> i might find out <laughs>
0: You've sold it to me anyway. Tony, thanks so much for your time.
5: My pleasure, Nick. Nice to talk to you.
1: Lee Moth said still with me. And Lee, just before you go, have you got a tip
5: for us?
2: Yeah, well, I am going to um, go to the place where the esteemed regular presenter of this podcast, Nick Luck, has headed today. He's having his first trip to Fakenham. Uh, I've been to Fakenham once before as well it's a heck of a long way from wherever you go but delightful when you get there I hope Nick enjoys his day and I hope if he has a couple of quid on Scudamore in the 3.10 the autism in racing novices handicap hurdle you get a few more quid back Jenny Candleys, your trainer, is in super form Scudamore won really well last time at Stratford and I think Scudamore can follow up in that 3.10 at Fakenham, good luck to him and good luck to Nick at the track
1: Great, Willie. Thank you so much for your help today. Thanks to all my guests. Nick, will be back with you tomorrow morning as usual, where he may have some news on the Irish media rights as they meet this afternoon. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye.
0: You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitstairs,